Today on Focal Point with Pastor Mike Fabares. Perhaps you could do what David did. He took time and effort and a lot of energy to do something to get the people around him to think corporately. And if you start to catch, as a result of this sermon, just a little bit more of a passion to be corporately minded for the common good, then you need to say, what, what kind of thing can I do to get the people around me to start thinking corporately? If there's one bright side to the pandemic, it's that it brought out people's altruistic sides. Today on Focal Point, Pastor Mike Fabares is talking about the importance of taking a bigger perspective when it comes to the body of Christ as well. We're studying 2 Samuel and learning from David what it means to be corporately minded for the common good. We're picking up our study in chapter one, just as an Amalekite man is attempting to personally benefit from King Saul's death. Here's Pastor Mike to explain. So here was an Amalekite who happened upon dead King Saul before the Philistines came back and cut his head off. He finds his crown and his armband. He marches for three days back to David and ends up saying, hey, Dave, you know, uh, you're really going to be happy about this. Uh, Saul, he's dead. So I know what that means for you. It means promotion. And it means no more running, no more being a fugitive. I know you're going to be happy with this. And as a matter of fact, if you're an object of your happiness, you could look at me because you know what I did? I was the guy who actually finished him off. Here's the crown. Here's the armband. I mean, you know, if you want to throw a party or something, I'll understand. (laughs) Need my name? That's great. I mean, he expected David to be happy. Why did he expect David to be happy? Because his assumption was that though this was bad news, that Israel had lost a battle and their king was dead, for David as an individual, it was good news. For the nation, bad news. For the individual, good news. That was his assumption. And I tell you what, he looked upon this situation and said this may be a bad thing for the nation, but you know what? This could be good news for me. I might get rewarded. He looked out for himself. He put his own interests first, and that was important. It's the American way. How can I make an opportunity out of this bad situation? Individual concern. He said, can I get out of this? Because he knew what David was getting out of this, and he thought for sure it would be appropriate to put the focus there. Are you tracking with me? You want to be a godly person. You want to be someone that reflects the heart of God. The first thing we need to stop doing, number one on your outline, if you're taking notes, these are three statements be worth getting down. The first thing you and I need to stop doing, we need to stop asking, what's in it for me? That's the question that though it's never articulated in the text, it permeates the first 10 verses of this passage. He assumed what was in it for David as an individual. He assumed that in his life he could make something out of this. And he said, dead king, there's a crown, there's an armband, I'm first on the scene. What's in it for me? Maybe reward. That's not the question to be asking. That's really not the issue. And if you've read ahead in our passage, you know, of course, as you turn back to 2 Samuel chapter 1, that David's not real excited about the news. Look at it in verse number 11, 2 Samuel 1, 11. 
Though the world is asking and the Amalekites trying to get David to look at it from a personal perspective. David won't look at it from a personal perspective. Verse 11. David and all the men with him took hold of their clothes and tore them. They mourned and they wept and they fasted. There was no feasting. There was no celebrating. They didn't turn to one another and high-five each other and say, great, finally we can get back to our own country now. Finally, the, that jerk is dead. I can't believe it. The guy's been trying to kill me. Man, isn't that good? Whoo, he's gone. Nothing like that took place because David didn't look at it as what's in it for me. He didn't see it as an individual. He saw it as part of a corporate whole. Look at the things that he mourns. Notice the concentric circles. I fast, he fasted until evening for Saul. He was mourning for his son Jonathan. He was mourning and fasting for the army of the Lord and for the house of Israel. He mourned for the king. Now, wasn't that the guy you couldn't get along with that hated your guts? You're mourning for him? I don't get it. What else did he mourn for? His son Jonathan. Oh, we understand that because you were pals and buddies with Jonathan. That's cool. But, you know... What's this whole thing about the army of the Lord? Weren't these the guys that were loyal to Saul and they should have been loyal to you? Those traitors? You're mourning the death of these people? And then look at the last concentric circle. He's mourning who? The entire house of Israel. Why? Because this was not just a political entity. Israel was supposed to be a spiritual entity. And that was his family. That was his identity. That was what he was. He was part of Israel. He wasn't mourning the death of a jerk that hated him. He was mourning the loss of the king of his country. He was mourning the loss of the leader of his family. He was mourning the prince of his family, Jonathan. He was mourning the army of his family. And he was mourning for his whole entire family. David had a different perspective on himself. If you want to stop asking what's in it for me and start to live like a godly man, then you need to start to see yourself differently. Number two on your outline, you and I need to see ourselves as a body. We are a body, not an organization. We are an organism. We are a living, profoundly interconnected group of people under the umbrella of the Lordship of Christ who have one purpose, one Lord, got into it through the same door, focused on the same goals, committed to the same book, filled with the same spirit, and that is our defining identity. He saw this defeat as something that profoundly hurt him and affected him. Because he was part of that organization. No, part of that organism. He saw himself as part of the body of Israel. The people of God. Oh, exiled. Yeah, I understand that. The leader hated him. Oh, I get it. Alienated from his buddy, Jonathan. Yeah, the armies weren't loyal to him. Sure. And house of Israel, he didn't even know half of those people. But he mourned for them anyway. Because he was a part of that group. He saw himself as a part of the body. And the question for you and I that should challenge us and resonate in our minds is, is that how we really view ourselves? Do I, in the core and most profound way in which I understand my identity, when someone asks me, who are you? How do I see myself? And in the context of church, you may say, I'm a Christian. Right? You know, we like that word, don't we? Christian. And it's a good biblical word. How many times does it show up, though, in the Bible? Sunday school graduates. Three times. The word Christian shows up three times to designate people that are rightly related to God, on their way to heaven, forgiven of sins, all that. Three times. If you were to ask me what the most popular word in the Bible was, if I were to shoot from the hip, I'd say it's probably the word disciple, because it's all over the place. Disciple. 
It's in the Great Commission. It has the concept that we are followers of Christ. We are people pursuing Christ. But that is not God's favorite way to designate us. In the New Testament, the Holy Spirit's favorite way to identify us is with a word that communicates our identity with each other. Can you guess what that word is? Used over 300 times in the New Testament for you and I. Brothers. Brothers. Think about that. God wants us to see ourselves as brothers, and that would be a good way for us to replace some of the nomenclature, the terminology of our Christianity. Now, it sounds weird and old-fashioned. You may even know some groups that like to call themselves that. But think about it. We are brothers and sisters in Christ. And that is our primary identity. And that means that if something happens to part of the body of Christ that I don't particularly get along with very well, or I don't particularly like, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter because they're part of my body. And because they're part of my body, I'm here for them and I care. Here's some memory verses for you. 1 Corinthians 12 through 26, wonderful passage of Scripture. He says, though there are many parts and there's a lot of diversity, we are one body in Christ. And it ends up in verse 26 of 1 Corinthians 12 saying, therefore, when one part suffer, all the other parts suffer with it. When one part is honored, all the other parts rejoice with it. Why? Because that is our identity. Most of us don't even know each other well enough to have any concept of whether someone over here is hurting and someone over here is rejoicing. We don't even know. We got our sermon, we got our coffee, got a good donut, said hi to somebody, we're out of here, go try and live the Christian life this week. That's not the way God designed it. He wants us to be profoundly interconnected, interdependent, finding our identity in the body of Christ. And it doesn't happen out there, trust me. If you have any question about that, read the book of Ephesians, because God is so clear, it happens in the church. That's the body of Christ. Want a definition? It's found in Ephesians chapter 1. It's a great passage. It says that all the fullness of Christ was going to dwell in his body, and he gave all authority to the head, Christ, his body, that is the church, in which all the fullness dwells. Now think about that. That is the body of Christ. And some of us can think so ethereal and so out there about the church. Oh, the mystical union of this esoteric, big, wide, big, gigantic thing. Trust me, 115 plus times the word church is used in the New Testament. About 95% of those times it refers to local geographic bodies led by elders and deacons, people we can see, touch, and interact with. Not so, you know, don't, tell, don't tell me you're part of the church way out there. That may be a great definition, but the church never gets together. The church never has fellowship. The church never has preaching. Our identity as a church is a local church, and this is your body. And if it's not, you need to get with your body. What are you doing here? Do you see what I'm saying? Perhaps you're one of the smorgasbord Christians that goes from this church, and I like that worship, and I like those you know, Bible studies, and I like that women's group, and I like that. Find a body and make it your home. It's your family. If it's not this one, that's fine. Go to one you connect with and get with it. Or can't find a perfect one. Duh. <laughs> right? You won't stop being so arrogant to think you need one. You don't need a perfect church because you're not going to find a perfect church. And though we're imperfect, and David could complain a lot about Saul, when Saul suffered, he suffered. And he said, he's hurting and I'm hurting. This is a bad day for Israel. Oh, but it's promotion for you. Don't you see this is good news for you? It doesn't matter. It's good, bad for the country. It's bad for the body. 
when I stub my toe in the middle of the night, my hand doesn't go, woohoo, it wasn't me. You know? <laughs> doesn't work that way. The whole body responds. Think about it, though. Really, part hurts, the whole body responds. We are interconnected. Do you feel that way? doesn't matter if you feel that way. That needs to become your mentality. I'm part of the body of Christ. What does that mean? The church. And this is my home. This is my identity. It's the number one identity for the Christian, and it ought to be our passion. Look at the rest of this passage in this middle section that we're looking at. In verse number 13, David turns to the young man and says, uh, Where are you from, pal? Well, you know, I'm an alien, an Amalekite. And it's so ironic, the contrast there. Here he's saying, ah, I'm a son of an alien, I'm an Amalekite. When he's just showed through his reaction the profound identity he has with his nation. And he's mourning for Saul and Saul's son and the army and Israel. And then this, oh, you know, I'm just, I'm, I'm a kind of an outsider. No kidding. You, you had no concern about the death of the king of our nation. Verse 14. David asked him, why were you not afraid to lift your hand to destroy the Lord's anointed? I don't get it. David called one of his men and said, go strike him down. So he struck him down and he died. Can you imagine the visual, the scene? And David says to him, your blood be on your own head, for your mouth testified against you when you said, I killed the Lord's anointed. Now, can you imagine that? What was it that made David hear the news of the death of his, in a practical, relational sense, enemy? end up being so offended by the guy who killed his enemy that he would kill that guy because he saw him not as his friend, not as an individual relating to an individual. He saw Saul as the head of his body. And he said, you don't do that. And he was so offended, he said, kill that guy. And I'm sure his eyes were like, what? He's coming thinking he's bringing good news and going to get a reward. And he gets a reward, all right. He gets killed right in front of David. Can you imagine that? You feel that connected to the body of Christ? Time to move there. Time to get my mindset firmly pinned down in my head. I'm not a Christian that attends PCC. I'm a part of PCC, and that's a big difference. Had to happen in my life, too, at some point. I had to say, I'm not a pastor who's been trained to be a pastor who's coming and serving at that church. I'm not a pastor serving at PCC. I'm the pastor of PCC. Do you see the difference there? It's a profound change, and it's a risky identification. But I'm saying, it's my family. Is this your family? It needs to be. And if you could start to think that way and interact that way and get to know people in this family and start seeing your life as an independent pursuit of Christ, as a corporate pursuit of Christ, you might find the incredible fulfillment that comes in being part of a family. It's huge, and we need it. And it's a desperate time for the Church of Christ in this society to wake up to it. I had a missionary come up to me after the first service and say, you know, this is really unique to the church in Western America. And I was like, I know that. You go to other parts of the world and you talk to those people, say in China, in the underground church. Do you think they view it as individual Christians coming and getting fed on Sunday morning so they can go off and live their independent Christian life? No way. See yourself as part of the body. And when you do, if part of the body hurts, like in verse 17, what's going to happen? David's going to take up lament concerning Saul and his son Jonathan. Part of the body hurts, he's going to hurt. Part of the body's honored, he's going to rejoice. What's interesting, though, and we could have ended the message there or could have tied it up real quick and looked at his poem that he wrote, this elegy of the death of Saul and Jonathan. But, you know, 
what got me was the, the wording in verse 18 that I thought is really an independent thing for us to learn from this passage. Not only do we need to stop asking what's in it for me and start seeing myself as part of a body, but in verse 18, look at what happens. Second word, and ordered that the men of Judah be taught this lament of the bow. David ordered that the men of Judah be taught this lament of the bow. And not only that, this whole lament, this elegy from verses 19 through 27 was published in a book. He even gives the title, the book of Jashar, this collection of poems and songs in Israel. David carefully crafts a lament for the death of Saul, a guy that hated him and wanted to kill him, and his son who he happened to love and was connected with. And he forces people to learn it. He publishes it in a book. He takes all this time and attention to do it. He doesn't just run to his closet and mourn and sense his connection to the body. He, number three in your outline, he starts to promote a community mentality. He wanted the people around him to recognize we need to think as a community. We need to feel as a community. He promoted it. He taught it. He modeled it. And he wanted other people to catch that too. And you and I, guys, we need to recognize the urgency of the deficiency in the church in America today and say it's time for us to move in that direction. It's time for us to start saying, if I start catching a glimpse of community, I need to start using whatever sphere of influence I have to get other people to grasp the concept that we're not individual Christians, we're corporate community, serving Christ together, and this is my family. And we've come so far. I was at a conference this weekend listening to people talk about things. Well-intentioned conference, well-intentioned messages, well-intentioned spokesmen. But they missed the concept of community. They missed it. Because all they did in appealing to me was talk to me about what's best for me and my family. And they didn't mean my church family. They meant what's best for me and my kids. And you know, that's really not the question for us to ask. It's not about me teaching my children to succeed as personal individuals in this world. It's about me, according to the Bible, taking my kids like arrows and recognizing that God has a purpose for them not to succeed and make it into some great college and get some scholarship and great some great job so he can buy some great house with some great car with a three-car garage and a nice collie that greets him when he gets home and kids playing on his lap. It has nothing to do with that. The goal for my children are to be a viable part of the body of Christ. It is not about what's best for my individual Johnny and Susie. It's what's best for the body of Christ. Because I am a part of a body, and my children, Lord willing, will be part of a body. And that's what I, as a parent, need to promote in their minds. Not what's best for me. It doesn't matter what's best for me. And it doesn't matter, frankly, what's best for my children. What matters is what's best for the body of Christ. And David promoted that. And if you're a parent, it's time for you to promote that. And I know it's hard because we were raised that way. And all we do is the generation of parents is start just taking our kids and just broadcasting the same philosophy our parents had for us into our kids. And we might have been the first generation to go to college. And our parents didn't get to go to college. And so we're going to college. Now we're looking at our kids and saying, okay, now you're going to go to college. And then you're going to get a master's degree. Or you're going to do some great thing. You're going to be some. And we all think about what's best for individuals. David promoted community, and he says in verse 19, Your glory, O Israel. 
lies slain on your heights. How the mighty have fallen. Tell it not in Gath. That was the foreign capital of Philistia along with the next one. Proclaim it not in the streets of Ashkelon, another major Philistine city. Lest the daughters of the Philistines be glad. Lest the daughters of the uncircumcised rejoice. He's concerned about reputation of the body, not his own little band of people, not his own relationships in his house. He's concerned about the big picture. How does it relate to the body of Christ? And in our life, that needs to be our passion. If you want to make this work, perhaps you could do what David did. He took time and effort and a lot of energy to do something to get the people around him to think corporately. And if you start to catch, as a result of this sermon, just a little bit more of a passion to be corporately minded for the common good, then you need to say, what, what kind of thing can I do? What kind of curriculum can I write? What kind of, of, of thing can I start saying in front of my children or those in my Bible study or whatever sphere of influence I have to get the people around me to start thinking corporately? Not about rugged individualism. It's about success corporately. So on my way to the church last night was listening to the news as they were talking about the U.S. women's soccer team. Big Yahoo, everybody's into that, it seems. And I'm listening to this, and I was impressed by the fact that this team, and I know they've tried at this, and I've heard it on several broadcasts, and sportscasters have mentioned, they really are seeking to, to maintain this team attitude. Have you heard this? They want a team. It's about a team. It's not about superstars. It's not about individuals. It's about team. And even some of their stars, they don't want to get interviewed and don't want to you know, get involved with the press because they, they want it to be a team thing. And if we win, it's a team victory. And I thought to myself as I heard that, just entrenched in these thoughts and in this passage, I thought that's very honorable gold, but the world will never buy it because they want stars. They want individual stars. We want someone's face we can plaster on the, on the Wheaties box. We need someone to make Nike endorsement ads. We need individuals because we relate to individuals. A team on the box doesn't work. We want people we can say, I want to be like that person because I want to individually excel like that person individually excelled. The world wants independent success. Teamwork is a great concept, but the world wants individuality. Let us, perhaps, be the kind of team that really succeeds, not because we say, well, we're going to be team here, but because we have the Spirit of God unifying us, and we have a focus that goes beyond soccer or some sport, and we say we can see ourselves as a corporate identity in everything I say and everything I do and how I interpret the news of my life. And you and I can be salt and light in a dark world that's full of individuals trying to succeed. We can be passionate about the common good. Yes, we can be passionate about the common good. You're listening to Pastor Mike Fabares and Focal Point. Our message is titled, A Bigger Perspective on My Life. Now, if you missed any portion of this two-part sermon based on 2 Samuel chapter 1, make sure to listen online when you visit focalpointradio.org. You can also download the message on your favorite podcasting app or stream it using the Focal Point app. Now, if you're feeling distant from God, could it be that you're ignoring His Word? Maybe you want to be spending more time in Scripture, but you don't know where to start. Well, if this describes you or someone you know, then this is the perfect opportunity for me to tell you about this month's featured resource. It's a book called How to Eat Your Bible, 
and it offers practical guidance for overcoming the hurdles that prevent us from making Bible study a regular part of our life. We'll send you a copy of this helpful book as our thanks for your gift of any amount to support Focal Point. Thank you for investing in this work, so others may also develop a deep passion for God's Word. You can request the book, How to Eat Your Bible, when you go to focalpointradio.org, or when you call 888-320-5885. If you'd rather send your gift by mail, write to Focal Point, Post Office Box 2850, Laguna Hills, California, 92654. You might also consider joining the team of monthly supporters called Focal Point Partners. Now, these are people just like you who listen to the program and value reaching the world with the truth of God's Word. Our partners help us minister to others around the world by providing free access to all of Pastor Mike's sermons, devotionals, and videos, and helping cover our radio airtime costs. So sign up today when you go online to focalpointradio.org or when you call 888 Well, I'm Dave Drewey inviting you to join us again on Tuesday when we'll take a deeper look at decision-making right here on Focal Point. Pastor Mike here. You know, it's an honor to be with you every day, helping you explore the depths of Scripture. But I want to be clear, no amount of Bible knowledge is ever going to save you. Be sure where you stand with God. Get in touch with us. We'd love to pray with you and for you. Visit us today at focalpointradio.org. We look forward to hearing from you. Today's program was produced and sponsored by Focal Point Ministries.